You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to a, another instant reaction edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. How the hell are you? So the Los Angeles Dodgers have won the National League Championship Series They are going to the World Series for the second straight year. We witnessed a Game 7 that gave you a lot of different things. A lot of different things. What it didn't give us, unfortunately, this is what I was hoping for, was the craziness of a back and forth, maybe even an extra inning game. You know, a game that has you on the edge of your seat. This game definitely had intrigue, and I think in the first, I'd say, five and a half innings of the game, you had that drama But as soon as Yasiel Puig hit that three-run home run, as soon as it cleared the fence, you kind of knew. You know, there there really wasn't any other drama in this game. The first five and a half innings until Puig hits the home run, you had everything, and I'm about to go through it. But once Puig hits that home run and the Dodgers take a a pretty comfortable 5-1 to lead, the Milwaukee Brewer offense, which is really the reason why they lost this championship series more than anything, did nothing. They had one base runner, one base runner from the sixth inning on against the Dodger bullpen. And that's why Milwaukee lost this series. But I got to start with this, and it's it's a part of why baseball in so many ways makes no sense, but a part of why baseball is so awesome. Did anybody throughout this season, and even entering the postseason, did anybody think the L.A. Dodgers were going to win the pennant? Like, did you ever get a feel from this Dodger team that they were going to win the National League pennant again? I certainly never did, and I admit that. You know, and and predictions are so weird because beginning of a season you make a prediction, beginning of the playoffs you make a prediction, before every series you try to make a prediction. I look at it this way. I made a prediction before the season started and before the playoffs started. Anything after that you could throw out. You know, you could just put it in the garbage can. And my World Series at the beginning of this season was the Chicago Cubs against the Cleveland Indians. We know how that worked out. It didn't happen. (laughs) So any prediction we make before the league championship series that we all try to make, it doesn't really mean anything. But I never felt like this Dodger team had it this year. And I remember uh, right before the season started, we had John Heyman on. And we were kind of arguing about the Dodgers, how I thought the Dodgers were going to have a down season more with wins and losses. And the one caveat I threw at him, I I should mention this caveat, was they will not eclipse the over. And I think the over-under for them coming into this season was in the mid to high 90s. But just because that's the case doesn't mean they don't sneak into the playoffs and who knows what happens in October. And that's sort of what happened because... The Dodgers won fewer games than the over-under. They had to play the winner-take-all National League West game, whatever you want to call it, the play-in game, against the Colorado Rockies, which they did. 
They didn't beat the Braves. They beat the Brewers. And voila, here we are. The Dodgers, despite a really weird season all the way around, are back in the World Series. And I kind of start at the end with this. The L.A. Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox playing in the World Series. Forget about how you feel about the Red Sox, how you feel about the Dodgers, because these aren't two franchises I particularly love. It is a very cool World Series, just based on the history of it. And I've talked about that a little bit on the air, that as a baseball geek, I love the oddness, the quirkiness, but more than anything, the history of two teams playing each other in a World Series, especially two of the original teams. The Red Sox have been around since the beginning. The Dodgers, certainly from Brooklyn, not L.A., have been around from the beginning. And these two teams have crossed paths, crossed paths one time. And I, I listen, man, I geek out of this. 1916, the Brooklyn Robins and the Boston Red Sox. 102 years in the making. The Brewers against the Red Sox was just going to feel like a random American League game from 1987. So from a historical standpoint, from a, hey, both teams have big-time starting pitching ace standpoint, you got yourself a very sexy World Series. But let me get to this game. Uh, Coming into it, you had Jolice Chassin, who's pitched really well in the postseason, but they haven't asked a lot from him. He got through the first inning. He gets the double play against Justin Turner and gets a run because Christian Yelich hits that home run, which I did not think was going out off the bat. It just got over the fence. Crowd's electric. Brewers are up one nothing, And really the game changed on not Cody Bellinger's home run, but one of the oddest things you'll ever see. Manny Machado laying down a bunt but wait but wait it's not just Manny Machado laying down a bunt and and beating it out for a hit to start the second inning he bunted on a 3-2 pitch now this could have gone one of two ways if he bunts on a 3-2 pitch and it goes foul we are lambasting Manny Machado we all are what an idiot this is why the Yankees shouldn't sign him You know, all those kinds of things. But instead, that moment in the game turned out to be almost the turning point of the game. There were a few of those turning points, and we'll get to all of them, or at least I'll try to get to all of them. But Manny Machado laying down a 3-2 bunt. A 3-2 bunt to start the second inning really changed things against Chassin because the next hitter was Cody Bellinger, and Cody Bellinger hit just a rocket shot, a bomb of a two-run home run. And that's good for Cody because he really hasn't done anything in the league championship series or the divisional series. And from that moment on, it was on for the Dodgers because Walker Bueller, who looked great in the play-in game but had not pitched well in the postseason, was firmly in control. And the biggest pitch he made was probably getting through the second inning, that shutdown inning, because the Brewer crowd was great throughout this series. The Miller Park crowd was very loud, very into it. But Craig Council made a decision in the second inning, which I completely agree with. I am not against him at all, and that was the decision to pinch hit for Chassin with two on, two out, and a two-to-one game. And if this was... And I know, like I mentioned, Chessina, I don't think he'd given up a run yet in the postseason. In all the starts he had made, if you combine them up, 
He pitched 10 and a third innings. 10 and a third innings, zero runs. I think that's over one, two, probably two starts or three starts. I'm trying to trying to remember. But with that said, this is a game seven. There's no messing around. You can't Aaron Boone this thing. So he's already given up the two-run homer. He's not going to pitch seven or eight innings. This is not your traditional ace. If this was Clayton Kershaw, maybe I'm thinking differently. If this is Jacob DeGrom, maybe I'm thinking differently. If this is even Walker Bueller, maybe I'm thinking differently. Because maybe I'm looking at the length that I may get and the fact that I don't want to go to my bullpen in the third inning. But I also think Council had to take a shot. He had to look at that opportunity. Because like I mentioned, the Brewers haven't hit in this series at all. No, they scored seven runs in game six. That's fine. Before that, they scored two runs. Before that, they scored one run. Before that, they scored four runs. Before that, they scored three runs. They, they've not scored a lot of runs. So when you've got two on, two out, second inning, got a loud crowd, it's two to one, it's a game seven, you go for it. The problem is Jonathan Scope, when he's had at-bats during the postseason, has done nothing, and he grounded out. He didn't come through. But I, I had no issue, none whatsoever, with council pinch hitting because – the way this team is built, the way he's managed, the aggressiveness he shows in going to the bullpen, and especially with this being a Game 7, you got to take your shot. And he did. The problem is Scope didn't come through. Hader came in and was outstanding. I mean, he did exactly what I think Craig Council was dreaming about. And I thought for a second, because he only threw 31 pitches over the three innings, Hader. Right? He didn't give up a run. He kept the game exactly where it needed to be. It was 2-1. to one. So he pitches the third, he pitches the fourth, he pitches the fifth. In the fifth inning, he's due up second. And I did a little bit, because there's one out and nobody on. It is a one-run game. There aren't anybody, there's nobody on base. There's one out, nobody on. I did kind of think that maybe in that case, I am letting Hater hit. Because Jeremy Jeffress who you knew was coming into the game, you had seen him warming up, I think, the inning before, has been a walking time bomb. And look, game two was was a time bomb. I mean, it's not like he hasn't imploded, but he's flirted with an implosion basically every time he's been out there. And so Chassin is different than Hayter. And the opportunity was also different than the Chassin opportunity in the second inning. That's two on, two out. I mean, you're giving a rally away if you let Chassin hit. One out, nobody on? I don't know. I was definitely thinking I could get another inning or two out of Josh Hader. I can. He's only thrown 31 pitches. If his pitch count was 50, I'm thinking, ah, maybe I'll get him out of the game. Now, I guess a part of the concern would be you are going second time around the order, but it is the heart of the order. And I'm looking ahead to that sixth inning saying, hey, that's a that's a big part of this game. It's two to one. Worst case scenario, it's two to one. Don't I want my best pitcher? And Hater is basically their best pitcher. I mean, who are you arguing is the Brewers' best pitcher, reliever, starter? I know Council doesn't like to use those terms. So I thought maybe it would have made sense to let Hater hit. He doesn't. But then, and this was the other epic moment in this game, I think this is the moment that in Dodger history they'll put a photograph up at Dodger Stadium somewhere in the bowels of Dodger Stadium to to commemorate this moment. Lorenzo Cain doubles. 
And Lorenzo Cain was on base a couple of times in this game. He's mostly had a very quiet postseason, which is odd for me to ever say since Lorenzo Cain is, still haunts my nightmares from Game 5 against the Mets. But he doubles, and now there's a runner on second and two out. And let me get to this part. Dave Roberts pulling Walker Bueller, which at that moment, I wouldn't have done. Now, it worked out brilliantly, but Bueller's pitch count was low. For the most part, he had pitched well. He basically put a guy on every inning, but he was making the big pitches. Look what he did in the fourth inning when the Brewers had a runner on second, nobody out. Got the next three guys out, struck out two of them. So I knew with the young Julio Urias warming up in the bullpen, he was likely to go to him. Why is he warming up? He's warming up to get the lefty Christian Yelich, but personally... I would have let Bueller get that last out of the fifth inning. I'm not thinking about a win, okay? That's certainly not on my mind. I'm thinking about the fact that at this point, watching Bueller through the first four and two-thirds innings, he did remind me of Jake fighting through battles the way DeGrom fought through game five against the Dodgers. There was a caller we took who made a comparison saying, you know, Bueller reminds me of Jacob DeGrom. We'll see if he can turn into that. Bueller is certainly a highly regarded prospect, but... I kind of felt that way watching this game because every time he needed to make a big pitch, whether it was the at-bat against Scope in the second inning, he made it. Whether it was getting Yelich to ground into a double play when the Brewers had the leadoff man on the third inning, he did it. Whether it was getting up, giving up a leadoff double to Travis Shaw and getting three straight outs, he did it. I trusted him to get Yelich out. Obviously, my cousin did not trust him to get Yelich out because he made the move to Urias, but here's your moment. Here's your epic moment, Yelich hitting a ball that off the bat and watching Chris Taylor move back in left field, I didn't think there was any chance he was making this play. And he makes a diving, leaping, unbelievable catch. And if he doesn't make that catch, we got ourselves a tie baseball game and, and who the hell knows what happens? No idea what happens. But Chris Taylor makes that play, and of course, a that's baseball kind of moment. Chris Taylor started the game at second base. He moved to left field because Jock Peterson was pinch hit for in the third inning because Hayter had come in. So Kike Hernandez had stayed in the game at second. Taylor had moved to left. That's the only reason he's out there. Otherwise, Jock Peterson's out there. I don't know if Jock Peterson makes that play. And Taylor makes that unbelievable leaping catch. And when he makes the catch, I start repeating to myself, Andy Chavez. Because my first reaction is, oh, my God, what a catch, what a catch. Now the Dodgers are going to win now. Now the Dodgers are definitely going to win. And I had to just remind myself Andy Chavez, Andy Chavez, Andy Chavez, because sitting at City Field, oh, City Field, huh, what, a, what a Freudian slip that was, sitting at Shea freaking Stadium, we all thought, it's over now, baby, it's over now, and obviously it wasn't, but in this case, it was, that unbelievable leaping catch is what led to the sixth thing, and again, Craig Council getting very cute. He goes to Xavier Cedeno to try to get a lefty out. First pitch he throws, or maybe it was the second pitch he throws. Max Muncy gives up a hit. And then he brings in Jeremy Jeffress, who blew game two and now let game seven completely slip away. Gives up the leadoff hit to Turner, gets a couple outs to tease you, and then Yasiel Puig hits the exclamation point. This thing's over three-run home run to make it 5-1, to one. and Yasiel was so excited. He was so pumped up 
I thought he was going to strip nude right in the middle of the field. I, I really did. He's doing the chop crop, the, the chop crop. Boy, I can't even speak. What time is it? It's not even it's not even midnight yet. It was actually a reasonably close game. I can't even complain that I'm tired. I can complain about the net game, which I'm not even going to get into. I know Nick fans want to complain about poor Kevin Knox getting hurt, but I'm not going to touch much of that. I'm sticking to the baseball tonight. So if you actually downloaded the podcast thinking I was going to break down uh, Nets Pacers, I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm sorry. Though I will tell you, if you want me to tell you that when that game ended, it ended in the second quarter when they let the game just completely slip away. But anyhow, I digress. I thought Yasiel Puig, when he's doing the, 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 the crotch chop and he's just go, I thought he was going to strip nude. I thought we were going to see Yasiel Puig's Puig. I really did. He was that excited. And I, I got, look, I'm not upset that he's that excited. You know, it's game freaking seven of the National League Championship Series. Of course he's going to be excited. And that home run was the the exclamation point. And then I spent the last three innings thinking, who the hell is going to win the MVP? <laughs> because there there really isn't anybody if you look at the final league championship series numbers or you just watched it where an MVP jumps out at you, this isn't the Jackie Bradley situation where Jackie Bradley may not have had the greatest numbers in the world, but look, the guy drove in nine runs. So I started doing it. I started thinking, I was like, "Eh, well, you know, is there a hitter? Is there anybody who said enough in this series? Is there anybody I can go with? So I started thinking about Yasiel Puig. Because, you know, Yasiel Puig get the three-run homer. He had a double in this game. He had three hits in this game. So I guess that means overall he had a home run and four RBIs, hit for a decent average. So I'm thinking Puig. And then I'm thinking, well, what about Cody Bellinger? Because Cody Bellinger didn't do much in this series either, but he did hit the two-run home run in the second inning that turned things around. Then I'm thinking, well, wait a second. Maybe it's a pitcher. But let me get to the pitching because this is the part of the Dodgers that is so that's baseball. After Bueller comes out, they go to Julio Urias, who basically didn't pitch this year, right, due to injury. He only pitched four innings this season, which means he has already pitched more innings in the league championship series than he had done in the entire regular season. But wait, there's more. Ryan Madsen comes in. Now, Ryan Madsen's looking to win his third championship. God bless him. He won one with the Phillies. He won one with the Royals. He's bounced around the league like a hobo the last couple of years. And you almost forget he was a Dodger because he was traded on August 31st. He too barely pitched for the Dodgers. And when he did, he sucked. So what happens? Of course what happens. He comes in and pitches a barely break a sweat one, two, three inning against the heart of the Brewer order to respond after the Puig home run. He looks so dominant. Dave Roberts said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to give an out away. I'm going to let him hit the seventh inning so he could come out for the seventh inning. He gets the first two guys out, does give up a hit to Arcia, and then he's pulled. And this is where things got interesting because it is five to one. I know it's game seven. You don't want to F around. I totally get it. He goes to Kenley Jansen. And so it's tough to believe he's asking Kenley Jansen to get seven outs. Though it's possible, you never know. So you're figuring, all right, he's being asked to get four outs, and now you got Clayton Kershaw for the ninth inning, and that's exactly how it turned out. But here's where I thought Dave Roberts had a very tough decision to make. I didn't think it was as cut and dry. When the ninth inning rolls around, 
It's a 5-1 to one game. He gets the first two guys on base. Barnes grounds out. Second and third, one out. Jansen's spot in the order is up. Now, you've got a couple of choices. You can pinch it for Kenley Jansen, go for the jugular, knowing, hey, I've gotten Clayton Kershaw to shut the door. You could give an out away, let Jansen hit, understand he's probably not coming through, though. You never know. I mean, Kenley Jansen was a catcher. I remember watching him in the World Baseball Classic throwing guys out for Team Netherlands. Now, as an offensive player in the major leagues, he has not a lot of at-bats, but he's actually a pretty good hitter. He's three for eight in the major leagues. So, or three for seven. So, it's not like it's a huge sample size by any stretch, but he's not your typical... He really has no shot reliever, though I assume he's probably not coming through. And you're giving it out away, and if he strikes out, doesn't make any contact, you're talking about kind of putting it all on the table for Kike Hernandez and potentially Max Muncie. The reason why I kind of leaned towards letting him hit, despite the fact that the odds are I'm giving it out away, despite the fact that he's actually a decent hitter in the major leagues, is he's only through 15 pitches. And more than even just breaking the game open, which would be nice, which would be great, I want to have my best pitchers ready to go. And no, I'm not thinking about game one of the World Series. I'm not thinking about saving Clayton Kershaw. I'm thinking about, hey, Kenley Jansen just dominated. He just literally barely broke a sweat. He got four outs. He didn't throw a lot of pitches. I've got Kershaw as a there's a possibility if Jansen struggles, let me let Jansen finish the job. Because at 15 pitches, that was not an issue. If Jansen never hit that inning, let's say it was a 1-2-3 inning, which could have happened, I would think he'd come out and pitch the ninth. Why wouldn't he? So the combination of, I already have a four-run lead, I still want my best reliever out there to at least start the ninth inning, and the fact that while it's still a long shot, the guy is somewhat capable of a hitter. He had two hits last year. didn't have any at-bats this season. He is a hitter. It's not something he's never done before. You never know. Close his eyes, swing. Maybe he makes a, an amazing postseason moment. I think I would have made the tough decision of letting him hit. He doesn't. He goes to Matt Kemp. You know he's going to be walked, which he was. And then to Brandon Woodruff's credit, he got the next two guys out to at least keep it somewhat interesting. The problem was Clayton Kershaw came in in the ninth inning and decided this thing is not getting interesting. And what is so fascinating about Clayton Kershaw is how good this guy has been at times. He has epic postseason moments. Not just some of his dominant starts, which he's had plenty of littered throughout his postseason career. It's the relief appearances. This is a guy that came in on basically no rest and shut the door on the Nationals in a game five. We forget about that, but he did that. This is a guy who came in out of the bullpen and got big outs and shut the door. He's done it before. This is a guy who last year, and I know this one's easy to forget because they lost game seven, but he came into game seven out of the bullpen on very little rest. The problem was they were already down 5-1. to one. He pitched four scoreless innings, but it's forgotten about because they never came back. So he's, he's done this. He's had these, you know, classic coming out of the bullpen moments. I mean, doing it in a one-run game in Game 5 against the Nationals on the road, I mean, that was pretty cool. 
came in, faced two batters, got them both out, got a major league save. Let's have a party. He pitched seven scoreless innings against the Cubs and beat them in his next start in game two of the league championship series. He's had those great moments. He beat the Astros his first World Series start. He was dominant. He was Clayton Kershaw. What he did against the Braves in Game 2 of the Divisional Series. What he did against the Brewers in Game 5 of this series. He has so many of these, but he has so many bad ones too. That's why he's not... I shouldn't even talk about David Price anymore, even though I, I should. I mean, the guy had one great postseason start. Let's have a party for him. But there's a difference between David Price and Clayton Kershaw. You know, Clayton Kershaw has a lot of really good postseason starts. The problem is... His career numbers in the playoffs are just not anywhere near his career numbers in the regular season. And I've said this before, and I said this to Brian Kenny. I don't know why he disagreed with this. This is simple math. He should know that. It's too late statistically. He's thrown 141 innings now in the postseason. He has an ERA of 4.08. Can he get that into the mid three? Sure he can. That can happen. He's, a, he's obviously going to get a few more opportunities coming up in the World Series. And who knows? He's still a young guy. He's still only 30 years old. He stays with the Dodgers. I'm sure he'll have more postseason opportunities as a starting pitcher. But when you've thrown 140 innings and your ERA is 4.08, do you ever really think it's going to get to the 2-3, 2-4 territory that his regular season numbers are? Let me throw a stat at you, because I, I think you'll find this interesting. Clayton Kershaw, most of his career, the last three years has been different because of health reasons. But before that, he's made the 33 starts every year, the 220, 230 inning starts every year. He doesn't have a full season yet of postseason appearances. He's made 22 starts, six bullpen appearances. He's thrown 140 innings. He has already given up in that sample size as many earned runs as he's given up in any season in his major league career, with the exception of 2010, in which he gave up those 66 runs in 204 innings, which is 64 more. The point is, his numbers are pedestrian at best. And when you are a guy who won the ERA title five times, when you're a guy who's won, you know, how many Cy Youngs has he won now? Three Cy Youngs, a handful of second-place finishes. The guy's won an MVP. He has a career ERA of 2.39. His postseason numbers just pale in comparison to it. But that doesn't mean he isn't a money pitcher. That doesn't mean he can't come up big. He has come up big. He has. He's done it plenty of times. I, I think for Kershaw... The one thing that can, I don't know if it's eliminate the stigma, because I don't know if it's possible, um, but fumigate the stigma, if you will. Change the narrative. Is he's got to win a championship, and I think he's got to do it as Bumgarner. You know, he's got to do it and win the World Series MVP, and he's going to have a shot. I assume he'll still pitch game one. He barely broke a sweat saving this game on a Saturday Game one of the World Series is on a Tuesday, so I would see no issue with him pitching game one. And maybe Dave Roberts should do old-school style, Bob Gibson style, Sandy Koufax style, even Christy Mathewson style, and go hand the baseball to Clayton Kershaw for 1-4-7. I doubt he will. It'll probably be 1-5 out of the bullpen in seven. That's likely what we'll see, which is, I think, exactly what 
last year was, if I'm not mistaken, against the Astros. But Kershaw gets another crack, another crack to at least change the narrative a little bit. And now we have ourselves a World Series. We have ourselves a World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the L.A. Dodgers. The rematch 102 years in the making between Babe Ruth's Red Sox. He only pitched once in that series. And the Brooklyn Robins, who I think were nicknamed after their manager, Wil- um, Wilbert Robinson, who was an old Baltimore Oriole. I always found that very interesting. So him and John McGraw were teammates. But that's your World Series. I think it is sexy from this standpoint. The bullpenning phenomenon has obviously taken off. The Brewers tried to win a pennant without having legitimate deep in a game starting pitchers. Now, that doesn't mean Alex Cora and Dave Roberts, they don't pull their guys early. Of course they will. We saw Chris Sale pulled in the sixth inning. We saw Walker Buehler tonight pulled in the fifth inning. It doesn't mean that all these guys are going eight innings. I I get that. I'm not delusional. But it's more traditional in the sense of Chris Sale and Clayton Kershaw. You know, maybe early in a series, he would let Walker Buehler go deep into a game. Last Walker Buehler start, guy pitched seven innings. So it's more of a traditional World Series in that you get the two aces, you get real starting pitching. Hopefully, you know, we'll see some classic deep in a game starting pitching matchups. Chris Sale apparently is okay. I, I don't even want to get into the, the, the beer, the beer, not the beer, the belly button piercing crap. I don't know. I don't care. I don't know if he was joking. I, I just don't care. He's healthy. He's good to go. We are going to be graced with Chris Sale versus Clayton Kershaw to open a World Series. And if I could fantasize, that would be my 1-4-7, though I know that'll never happen. If I'm Alex Cora, I know he certainly wants to hear advice from me. It's, it's a no-brainer. Mookie Betts is playing second base. It's a no-brainer. The, the guy came up as a second baseman. He's played the position. Now, has he played it full-time at the major league level? No. Has he played it in four years? No. But it's not like it's something he didn't do often. He did it plenty. And it's such a short-term, may not even be a full nine-inning kind of thing. We're only talking about game three, four, potentially five. You can make changes late in games depending on the way the game is going. Obviously, if you have a lead, you get them out, you move bets to right field, you get JD out, you improve your defense, everybody's happy. But I don't think there's any question. No question at all. They are equipped to handle the whole non-DH in the National League ballpark thing because of the versatility that Mookie Betts has. On paper, the Red Sox are better. Uh, will the Dodgers win this series? What's my fir- what's my first reaction? Uh, my first reaction is the Red Sox are going to win. That My first reaction is they have beaten the respect out of all of us. They won 108 games. They haven't lost a game away from Fenway Park. Every time you think, ah, see, they're not that good. Craig Kimbrell's imploding. Their bullpen stinks. Chris Sale is hurt. David Price chokes in big spots. Every time you want to just rail into them, they've answered the call. I mean, they've only lost two postseason games. They've responded to the punch, you know? They've taken punches in this postseason. They took a punch when they lost Game 2 to the Yankees at Fenway Park. They took a punch when they lost Game 1 to the Astros at Fenway Park. And they've responded every time. And so it's 
It's difficult to bet against them. It's difficult to pick against them at this point. It's difficult. Now, I got to figure out who I'm rooting for. I, I got to be, I got to root for the Dodgers. I mean, I, I have to. I, I don't like the Dodgers in particularly, not for the same reason Joe doesn't. Joe remembers 1988. I was five. My memories of the Mets playing the Dodgers in the postseason is all positive because the Mets beat them twice, you know? They beat them in 2006. I think of Paul LaDuca tagging two guys out basically at the same time. And I think of that classic five-game series a couple of years ago when they won a game five at Dodger Stadium. So I don't dislike the Dodgers for those same reasons. I really don't like their fans. That's for sure. I agree with Beningo about that. I don't find you know, them lovable by any stretch. I like Kershaw. Good respect for Kershaw. Like Dave Roberts. I like Justin Turner. So there are individuals on the team I like. And the city of Boston, I mean, obviously I respect them. <laughs> How can I not? But I just, another freaking parade in that city. The Red Sox have won enough, all right? They broke the curse in 04. They destroyed the Rockies in 07. They beat the Cardinals in 13. So... Yeah, I mean, I've talked myself into it. And I'm a National League fan. So I've really, I've just completely talked myself into it. Let's go Dodgers. But with that said, it, the rooting interest isn't enough for me to not root for a seven-game series, which is usually what I do in a World Series. Give me the seven-game series. And we've gotten a few of them. I mean, think about it. We've gotten two consecutive seven-game World Series. So predictions mean nothing, obviously. They mean squat. I'll give you one anyway. I'm going to go with the Red Sox in six. There you go. We're not getting another game seven, as great as that would be. So I'll go with Red Sox in six. Now, I'm trying to figure out, before I'm done here, who the hell won the National League Championship Series MVP? Because, <laughs> I, you know, thinking about it, going through the numbers, there really wasn't anybody, anybody, that deserved the National League Championship Series MVP. I mean, who would it be? I have no idea. So I'm, I'm searching Twitter to try to get the answer to this thing. Uh, I think I read from Bob Nightingale. It was actually Cody Bellinger. <laughs> I mean, I, I, guess, I guess that's possible. He really didn't do much in this series, but he did hit the two-run home run after the Manny Machado bunt. You know, the truth is, does anybody even remember who the MVP of League Championship Series are? I mean, I barely do. Congratulations to the L.A. Dodgers. They've won the pennant. It's been fun talking about it. So thank you for listening to this edition, the instant reaction to the Dodgers winning Game 7 edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. You can listen to me and Joe Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. on The Fan. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.